Let's pray. Father in heaven, we sing hallelujah. Praise you, Lord, for being our great God. You are our refuge and our rock. You are our light and our life. Lord, to you we cling to, we hold on to throughout all of life's journeys. And Lord, we come to you now and look forward to the, the food, the nourishment, the, the strength you will give us through your word this morning. Give us your words and give us ears to hear that we would obey and follow your ways. Help us to be a people who are faithful to you in the face of temptations to turn away. Lord, thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me once again to the book of Numbers, Numbers uh, chapter 32, Numbers 32. Numbers uh, ends with chapter 36, so I uh, appreciate your prayers as we come finish up. These are, uh, these are some difficult chapters to preach as we get near the end. They're challenging, uh, but of course, because we know that it's God's Word, we can have the assurance that it will speak to us and challenge our lives. Um, pray also for me as I'm kind of trying to decide what to preach on next. Uh, I'm uh, I have a couple books in mind, but I'm not sure yet, even now, which book to preach on next. So you can appreciate your prayers if you think of me. Numbers chapter 32. This is our text this morning. I'll start with a question. And the question is, what causes a worshiper of God to fall away from him? What causes a worshiper of God to fall away from worshiping the Lord? We've all known someone, um, perhaps it's our own selves, that have at some times in our life have, have turned away from the Lord. I'm glad you're here. Hopefully you've returned back. But we've turned away because of usually some difficulty or trial in our lives. And certainly we understand there are some trials that are that in, in, in this fallen world that are, are, are great. They're heavy burdens. Uh, they're, and they weigh us down and uh, they wear down our, our trust and our faith and our strength. And, and we sometimes get so focused on those trials, we, we lose sight of the Lord. And we sometimes become embittered towards the Lord. It can be so great that we, we even question God's wisdom, God's goodness. How, how can a good God allow this to happen to me? However, today, God's word warns us of a, another potential cause or circumstance for which a worshiper of God might fall away or turn away from him. And then it's not because of problems or adversity, but because of prosperity or affluence. Because life is good. Because we are comfortable. Because we are at ease. All is well that we 
are at those times also tempted to stop looking upon the Lord and forgetting to acknowledge Him with the lives that we live and to, con- to live our lives focused solely upon the wonderful lives that we live. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, after Moses completes giving the law to the second generation of Israel, God reveals to Moses that Israel is going to turn away from him. We can read in 31.20, For when I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn away, turn to other gods, and serve them, and spurn me, and break my covenant. The Lord knows that when he blesses Israel and gives them the blessings of his promise to their fathers, that in their peace and prosperity, they are going to turn away from serving him, and they're going to turn away to serve and worship other gods. What God reveals in Deuteronomy 31 is foreshadowed in our chapter today. The danger of turning away from the Lord in the midst of our comfort, prosperity, affluence, and ease. Well, throughout the book of Numbers, we have seen the faithfulness of God and the call for faithfulness of God's people. Sadly, we've also seen that God's people often fail, not just in the face of trials when there's limited food or limited water in the wilderness, but also in the face of riches, as in the promised land. Today's chapter focuses on the tribe of the tribes of Reuben and Gad's the request to dwell in what's known as the Transjordan. It's the eastern side of the Jordan River. And what seems to us, as we're going to see, like a very reasonable request is actually a temptation to turn away from the Lord. And today's passage challenges you and my, you and you and me, God's people, to not allow our riches, our comfort, our ease, our wonderful lives to sway us from our faithfulness to God, to faithfully worship and serve him until our days are done. And as we look at this passage, I'm going to walk you through, it's, not a, uh, it's a four points, four scenes, if you will, that warn God's people of the danger of turning away from following the Lord. There's a danger in our affluence and our prosperity in turning away from the Lord. And hopefully this passage will remind us of that and that maybe we might examine ourselves of that potential temptation and that pull that's in our own lives as those who live in uh, San Francisco, California, USA. Let's go then and look then at the first scene Oh, that warns God's people of the danger of turning away from following him. And that is the request of Reuben and Gad. The request of Reuben and Gad. We see this in verses 1 to 5. Numbers 32, verse 1 to 5. Let's look at the text. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, 
Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimra, Heshbon, Eliela, Sebam, Nebo, and beyond. The land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. In the original Hebrew, the very first word is translated here, and it's, you, can, you can probably, is translated here as livestock. In fact, that word is emphasized throughout this passage in these, these four, five verses. Four times we see this word livestock, 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 livestock. It's, it's the emphasis. It's, it tells us, it clues us in that this is the focus of this event, this story. It's about the livestock that creates the circumstance that Reuben and Gad and the whole nation are going to face. Livestock, of course, refers to cattle generally, but also refers to donkeys and camels and sheep and goats, all the animals that uh, were common in those days. And the tribes of Reuben and Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. They had a lot of animals. And they had brought some with them out of Egypt. But with the victories over their enemies in the wilderness, they had acquired even more they, in contrast to the other ten tribes, had much, much more, exceedingly large number of livestock. And since they had an exceptional amount, it just so happened, as they were thinking, as they were camped in the plains of Moab, wading across the Jordan River from Jericho, that as they looked around, they noticed, well, the land that we're dwelling in right now, in the plains of Moab, here's Jazer, there's Gilead, these pl- places on the eastern side of the Jordan River, well, what do you know? These are lands that are suitable for livestock. So uh, they bring their request to Moses and Eliezer, to the leaders of Israel. They ask that this land that they were dwelling in at this moment, before entering the promised land, would be given to them as their possession. It began that word's a key thing, that word possession is something that would be something that God would give them as their part, their possession, their, the, their, their part of the God's promise to the, to the nation of Israel as their continual exist, uh, inheritance which they would pass on from generation to generation. That's what they were asking for. Let this land be given as our inheritance from the Lord. We will be, this will be our part in the land. In their minds, it was a very practical request. And I think all of us can probably make sense of that. The land is from the Lord. First of all, they point out this is the land that God has given to us because he helped us, uh, gave us the victory over the kings of this, la- of this land. And since the land is good for livestock, and well, Reuben, our tribes, Reuben and Gad, we, we have a lot of livestock, well, Two plus two equals four, so uh, let's just live here, right? Makes so much sense. Do not take us across the Jordan. Let us this land be our possession. But it's the phrase, do not take us across the Jordan, in verse 5, that, and that's where the problem lies. Their intent, as they were thinking, as they were expressing their request to, the, to Moses and the leaders, was that they were going to simply stay on that side of the Jordan, that it wasn't nece- they thought that it wouldn't be necessary for them to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. 
God had promised the land to the nation, and the nation was to conquer the land together. And that's why they were all numbered, if you remember. All, all 12 tribes were numbered, because they all were to have a part in entering the promised land and conquering the promised land together as one. And these two tribes, what they were doing in their request was letting their concern for practical as it may be for their riches, that is their livestock, to turn themselves away from the Lord. Now, whether they realize that or not, I mean, a lot of our sins are sometimes unintentional. We, we just ignorantly do so. It, that isn't the point. The point is that here, these, these men, are, and for ourselves, our riches, our earthly treasures, can sometimes tempt us to turn away from following the Lord, from serving the Lord. If you recall Jesus' command to the rich young ruler, when he came and he, his, and he said, claimed that he had obeyed all the law, but Jesus at the very end told him to sell all his possessions and give it to the poor and then come follow him. He was given a choice. Jesus knew his heart. He wanted him to choose, choose riches or choose me. What will you choose? If Jesus were to come to, knows your heart and knows that your, your idol is riches and wealth, and he came and asked you, will you take, sell all your possessions right now, give it to poor, and follow me, how would you respond? We, hopefully all of us would say, I, Lord, I will. But yet many of us in the back of our minds will understand why the rich man responded the way he did. He turned away grieving because he had so much stuff. Jesus said, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 23. The problem with, of wealth and riches and, and stuff is that you have to spend time, more time, thinking about how to maintain it. Think about our homes. Upgrade it. Think about your computers. Protect it. Uh, think about anything you that's valuable. Invest it, and of course, make more of it. Now, of course, not that that alone is wrong. There, God commends us when we work and, and save and such things. But when our riches, our concern for our riches and our wealth and our possessions becomes our excuse to not serve the Lord, to not make disciples of Christ, when we're happy living our life, taking care of our, just our own stuff, our own kingdom we are in the same way turning away from the Lord because we're not doing what God called us to do. And such actions are to be rebuked. As we see in our second scene. Our second scene in verses 6 to 15 is the rebuke of Reuben and Gad. The rebuke of Reuben and Gad. Look again at the text with me. But Moses said to the sons of God and to the sons of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves yourselves sit here? Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger burned in that day, and he swore, saying, 
None of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upwards shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. For they did not follow me fully, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have followed the Lord fully. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. Moses gets right to the point, doesn't he? He understands when there's a severe sin, that a temptation that, that is about to take place, he doesn't just take a, a gentle hand. He takes a, a stern, direct rebuke. He understands that God, Gad and Reuben's request is basically a request to let others cross over, the other tribes cross over to fight while they remain behind in the Transjordan. And by remaining behind, they were discouraging their brother Israelites. To emphasize the seriousness of their action, Moses compares what they were doing with basically what occurred at Kadesh Barnea, Numbers 14. You remember there, that was the, the turning point for the people of God, that first generation. There the ten spies were sent out into the land. They were, they were, these, they were acting like the ten spies. Where when those ten spies were sent out, they, they saw the land. Actually, 12 spies in all, but 10 came back and they gave a bad report. And they discouraged their fellow brothers of Israel and said, no, don't go. We can't go in there. We can't defeat these people. We're going to die. Our family's going to die. We're all going to die. So let's just, you know, let's go find some other place to live. They discouraged their brothers, and so they turned away, and they led the nation in rebellion against God, and God judged that, that generation. Because of their discouragement, because of those ten spies' discouragement, Israel did not follow the Lord fully. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord by refusing to enter the promised land. And everyone, all the men, 20 years and up, all the soldiers, 20 years and up, would never see the land except for Joshua and Caleb. Now, Moses says, these Gadites, these Reubenites, were about to lead Israel down the very same path. Verse 15 is the key verse of this chapter. For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. There's, there's a we can't help but notice, first of all, that Moses calls the desire for Reuben and Gad to remain in Gilead. He calls it sin. He calls it turning away from following the Lord. That's what he's saying with the doing. This very practical request. They have. Well, it makes sense. This land is, is, is a good land for livestock. We have livestock. God has given us this land. Hey, can we, let's just live here. But they were forgetting that they were to call to go and fight with their brothers and take, enter and take the promised land across the Jordan. And when God calls his people to do something and you sit back and let others do the task, you are sinning and you are discouraging your brothers and sisters from doing what they're supposed to do. You have turned away from the Lord when you do that. You are not following him. What's worse is that your sin discourages all the others. 
Now here's where we tell you, this is where we might simply say, remind us of that infamous, the 20-80 rule, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's a common grievance in any church or, or any organization, really. But you know, that's, that's okay. I want to tell you that, don't grumble about that too much. The 20-80 rule, you know, it's, it's, it's very common in organizations, churches as well, that there are going to be people who, who do more. Some have a greater ability, some have greater giftedness, some have more time. The problem arises when 80% of the people do 100% of the work, leaving 20% of the people sitting on their hands in the pews, keeping a, a seat warm, but doing nothing for the Lord. There, when they do that, others who are doing the work see that, and they get discouraged. It affects the faithfulness of the whole when some of God's people just sit and do nothing. That draws the wrath of God. And those people are basically people are turned away from the Lord. And there is a kind of worshiper that may attend services regularly, but because of his riches and comfort in his life, has turned away from the Lord in their heart. He does not deny himself. He does not take up his cross. He does not follow Jesus. His is a life of ease and comfort. He doesn't witness of the Lord. He doesn't sacrifice his time. Sure, he shows up for a few hours, greets a few friends, enjoys lunch, and then goes on the rest of his week living for himself and for his stuff. If you push him, he will confess that, yes, he believes in Jesus Christ, but neither his life nor his speech reflects that Christ is Lord. Is this you? Are you just sitting here week in, week out, but not serving the Lord in any way to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God? Are you spending your time focused on your own stuff and doing little to nothing for the Lord? Examine yourself. I, I don't know. I cannot see in your heart. I don't see what the work you do in your, in your own personal times for the Lord. But you know, and God knows. Examine your heart. And if, there, if you have turned away Maybe you were faithful once and you were fallen faithful, but as you've, in this time in your life, you basically are just sitting around doing nothing. You're on the sidelines. Everybody's running, but you're just sitting there watching. If so, you need to hear God's word this morning and respond as the tribes of Reuben and Gad do in our third scene in verses 16 through 32. And that is, we see here the promise of Reuben and Gad. What follows here in this section is a dialogue between Reuben and Gad and Moses. It becomes essentially a promise that they are going to make. It's stated in verse 16 to 19, or we begin in verse 16 to 24. Then they came near to him and said, we will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place. 
while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance, for we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side of the Jordan toward the east. So Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all of you armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of obligation toward the Lord and toward Israel. And this land shall be yours for a possession before the Lord. But... If you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build yourselves cities for your little ones, and sheepfolds for your sheep, and do what you have promised. The tribes of Reuben and Gad here have basically make a promise, and they promised that they would uh, first of all, they would build sheepfolds and, and cities for their families and, and, their, and their, their livestock and families to dwell. And then their spe- they would send their speediest armed soldiers to help their brothers conquer the land. And they promised that these soldiers that would be sent out would not return home to the Transjordan until every Israelite, the rest of their brothers of Israel, had their, their possession of their own part, their own possession inheritance in the promised land. According to Joshua's 4.13, about 40,000 soldiers from Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over. And they kept their promise while their families remained behind in the Transjordan. They had made this promise and with a, with a, a uh, with, a, pro, with a, 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 a faith in God that they would receive this part of the Transjordan as their promised inheritance. And so Moses responds to this in verse 20, 24. He, re, he restates the promise basically in terms of, contra, of a contract. That if they would do what they promised, then they would have the Transjordan as their possession, their inheritance. But if they would not, then they would have sinned against the Lord. And the phrase, your sin will find you out, Uh, That serves as a warning that God would judge them for their sin, that their sin would eventually come out. The key phrase in this section, these few verses, is this phrase, before the Lord, mentioned four times in this section. Their obedience to this commitment is before the Lord. It's literally, it's toward the face of the Lord. The implication is that all that they do here is seen by the Lord. It's, it's done before him. The conquest, the conquest of the land isn't just for their brothers. It isn't just for themselves so they can have their part of the Transjordan. They are doing so before the Lord. It's for the Lord that they serve. It's before the king who watches, the one who dwells above the, the, holy, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle. They are going to battle for the Lord. Verse 25, following then records the response. The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servant will do just as my Lord commands. 
Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. While your servants, everyone who is armed for war, will cross over in the presence of the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' households of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Moses said to them, If the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben, everyone who is armed for battle will cross with you over the Jordan in the presence of the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. But if they will not cross over you with you armed, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We ourselves will cross over armed in the presence of the Lord into the land of Canaan, and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us across the Jordan. Gad and Reuben, we see here, the tribes and the, uh, heed Moses' rebuke by renewing their commitment to the Lord and to their fellow Israelites. They commit before the Lord to not rest until the work of conquering the land is complete. They renew their commitment to be faithful to, to God's calling of them. And they, make, they set for us an example today as well. And we all, I know all of us here love to enjoy probably resting and relaxing, uh, especially on the weekends or in the evenings. But while God gives time for resting and relaxing, as long as we live on earth, God has left us a task to do. There's an unfinished task that all of us have. None of us will ever finish in this lifetime. But we have a task to work together as the body of Christ to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to be the church of God, the pillar and support of the truth, to be the salt and light of to the world, to visibly manifest the love of God to a world who cannot see God. And if you have been sitting back for far too long, you are not doing your part in the work that God calls us as a people as a church to do. And then I encourage you to follow the example of Reuben and Gad by renewing your commitment before the Lord to not rest until your work on earth is done. There'll be plenty of time to rest in glory. Lastly, our fourth and final scene. is found in verses 33 to 42, and that is the possession of Reuben and Gad, what becomes their inheritance. We read in verse 33 to 42. This comes, ends the chapter this way. So Moses gave to them, to the sons of Gad, and to the sons of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Joseph's son Manasseh, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, the land with its cities with and with their territories, the cities of the surrounding land. The sons of Gad built Dibon and Ataroth and Aror and Atroth Shophan and Jazer and Jogbeha and Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran as fortified cities and sheepfolds for sheep. The sons of Reuben built Heshbon and Elela and Kiriathaim. 
and Nebo and Baal Meon, their names being changed, and Sibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. The sons of Makir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Makir, the son of Manasseh, and he lived in it. Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its towns and called them Havath Jair. Nobah went and took Kenath and its villages and called it Nobah after his own name. We surprisingly kind of unexpectedly see that along with Gad and Reuben, half of the tribe of Manasseh also join in inheriting land of the, here in the Transjordan. Why they are included here is not mentioned, it's not known, but perhaps the Manassehites also, these part- Manassehites also had a great number of flocks, cattle, and they decided to join when the contract had been made known to uh, the nation in the previous section. But the fact remains, and it's testified throughout the rest of the Old Testament, that the half of the tribe of Manasseh joins with Gad, joins with Reuben in inheriting a possession in the Transjordan. And these two and a half tribes, these eastern tribes, basically do their work. They, in, in, uh, in accordance with the covenant that they, Moses makes with them, they rebuild the various cities of the, of the nations that they had dispossessed there, repairing some of them. They built uh, cities for their, their dependents to live in. They built pens and, uh, uh, for their livestock to, to, dwell, to safely uh, dwell in. And so what they were doing, as we've seen, before they enter the promised land, all, all before they enter the promised land, they, they build up these cities just as they, they uh, said they would, while they were also preparing their fighting men to go to war and arming them as well. So what they were doing is they were spending time, they were doing, spending their energy building up their cities and their, and their livestock for their dependents and animals. They were taking care of their stuff while also preparing their armies for war. They were also, at the same time, obeying and taking care of their fulfilling their promise to the Lord. They are an example, then, of God's people basically balancing the responsibilities that they have to care for their own and to serve the Lord and serve the, the people, their fellow brothers and sisters. And we, too, who live in a world and time of, of busyness, we Two, many, probably the most common, one of the more common prayer requests that I hear is people saying, I, I need to figure out the balance of time. You know, it's not that serving the Lord trumps taking care of your family or, you know, and being faithful to your work. You know, your work, your family, those are all part of serving the Lord, really. But they all need to be balanced. Your, church, your, your service in the church, they, they all need to be balanced in some way. And depending upon your ability, your skill, your, your helper, your, your family, your situation, your stage of life, that may look a little differently for all of us. Now, I know today I've talked much about the importance of serving the Lord. And I know some of you, especially, are in a particular stage of life. I, I think the, uh, one of the most challenging stages of life is when your children are super young <laughs> and you, you, know, you have young families. At least I think that, of course, it's one of the times of greatest joy as well. But it's a time when you're super tired. And it's hard in those stages of life. You young fathers, I know you must be completely overburdened. You're raising a young family. You have young kids. You're, you're trying to build your career to provide for your family. And yes, knowledge, get used to it. You can't be as involved in the life of the church as you were when you were single. In fact, if you did that, 
you probably would neglect your other areas of ministry or of stewardship. And that's okay. It's not about how much you're serving. It's about how faithful you are with what time and resources you have. Are you faithful with the little time that you have? You have to be faithful with your time to take care of your family. You have to be faithful with time to take care of your, do your work. You have to be faithful with time. Perhaps you are also at that stage where you also take care of your parents. You have to be faithful with that too. You have to be faithful with your time, with the time to serve the Lord. You know, we're, you say, well, that's nothing to do. You know, brothers and sisters, we're always needing ushers and greeters. Okay. Well, you know, that if you if that's and you're here, you get to stand up and walk around, you know. You could be worship team member too, probably, or A V. These are there are many ways to serve in the body. Doesn't take a little extra time, but you can serve. If you have only a little time, only a little bit of resource, only a little bit of energy, then be faithful to use that time, that resource, that energy for the Lord. Even if you only have an hour, hour a week to spare, use that hour to, to serve the Lord, to, to have lunch with someone, to email someone, to text someone. Use it to just pray for the ministry of the church. I love our announcement. Don't, don't just, when you're, and we have announcement time, don't just turn your ears off. That's, that's prayer request time. Listen to it as that. And that's, that's things that you can be praying for. You only got one hour, pray, pray for these work of the ministry. That's your service to the Lord. Of course, I, I can't overstate the importance of the weekly ministry of the pew. Some of you are masters at that. It's just like, you know, you just sit down somewhere, and the people around you, those are the people God wants you to minister to this week. And you're just like, oh, oh wow. And God, when you, and when you come to service, don't just come in late 10 minutes and then leave as soon as the doors are open. Stick around. I know we're telling, you know, sometimes kick you downstairs, but stick around for 10, 15 minutes before, after, to speak encouraged to someone, a fellow brother, sister, and Lord. Hey, how's your week? How can I pray for you? What's, how's the Lord been working your life? Oh, and you can say something that God's been teaching you, what you're thankful to the Lord for. As you speak truth to one another, even if it's not in a formal sense, you're speaking truth, and, you, and you're, what you're doing is you're building up one another with God's truths. You're not a, very few of us are going to be able to meet weekly with someone for two to three hours. But if you can encourage someone else with God's truths, even a random person each week, you're doing your part to make disciples of Christ as part of the body of Christ. Oh, we wrap up. Hmm. In the plains of Moab, as they waited upon the Lord to enter the promised land, some of the people of God, in particular the tribes of Reuben and Gad, were tempted by their concern for their earthly wealth, their earthly possessions, to turn away from following the Lord. On the cusp of the promised land, they were in danger of leading the people down the same path that their fathers had done at Kadesh Barnea. And Moses' strong rebuke and warning turned them back to renew their commitment to follow the Lord. Yes, they would build their homes and pens for their families and flocks. 
But yes, they would also send their fighting men before the Lord to fight until every Israelite had their possession of the land that God had promised. Brothers and sisters, people of God today in the avenues of San Francisco, as we wait upon the Lord to enter the promised kingdom, some of you, I know, are tempted for you, by your concern for your earthly wealth to turn away from the Lord. Some of you already have turned away, and you are discouraging your brothers and sisters to do the same. The choice is yours. God has spoken. God's word warns you through today's passage. Will you heed his voice? Will you stop and get off your hands and do your part to serve the Lord in making disciples of Jesus Christ? Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then. It's talking about Mount Sinai. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. As those who have been saved by the cross of Christ, let us show our gratitude for the unshakable kingdom. Let us offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let me end with a couple questions for us then to think about, discuss this week in our small groups and in our own family devotion times. Question one, how, how might your concern for riches be tempting you to turn away from the Lord? And then secondly, how are you serving the Lord in the body of Christ? And thirdly, what might you need to change in your life to faithfully serve the Lord? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the warning. Lord, help us to heed your voice. Help us not to allow the concern for, for our riches to choke our lives to cause us to wither away wasting our lives concerned about things that will be shaken when you come will father help us to hold on tightly by faith in the kingdom that is unshakable and what we have in, through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful in the work that you give us until then, to make disciples of Christ, to serve you as your, as your servants until our days on earth are done. Lord, we pray that you would help us as a body, one people, one church, together, 100% of us doing 100% of the work, so that you might continue to build your kingdom.
And God, we pray that you help us be faithful, for we are weak. We thank you, Father, for the cross of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. In him we not only are saved, but in him we have the strength to do the work which you call us to do. Help us to hold on to Jesus and to serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.